to a unique episode of Zoomtown. I'm your host, Travis Matier. This episode was, let's see, many weeks and maybe actually a couple months in the making. Um, it's with someone that I did not seek the interview out. So this actually came about as the result of an interview that I conducted with Jason Horsley, an author who I greatly admire. And then after that went out there, um, on the on the intertubes, Ben reached out to me via email, I believe, if my memory serves me correctly. Um, and then after you know weeks of trying to connect, the the first opportunity that we had, April thirtieth, we only had about thirty minutes because I got the timing a little screwed up. I should probably mention that Ben is in France, so. Seven hours was actually an eight-hour difference. So we, we actually made a really good use of the 30 minutes and then had the understanding, Let, let's do this again, maybe next week. Uh, a couple of weeks go by. Um, <laughs> the way that things have been happening with synchronicities, that's part of my conversation with Jason Horsley. That's certainly part of my conversation with Ben. Um, and so we finally did get a chance to connect on the 28th. Today is Memorial Day, so I am doing the cutting and pasting and then ultimately the putting it all together. Um, I'm not very technologically savvy, so so yeah, I'm, I'm doing the best I can with this stuff. Tim is not around to help me currently, but uh, Tim Adams is my co-host and producer behind the scenes. But this one is just me and Ben talking, and it's a really, really nice conversation. Uh, the May 28th part of it was really kind of what I needed um, so I hope you enjoy this conversation. It's positive and maybe Ben and I will get another chance to record something, but we're certainly going to stay, stay in touch. So Ben, if you're listening to this, thank you so much for sharing your stories with us and uh, we'll see what happens next. Thanks for listening. This is Zoomtown. Uh, my co-host Tim is in the background. Uh, doing doing the the tech stuff. We're not all that tech savvy. We've been learning this this whole doing interviews, doing a podcast thing as as we go. And uh, yesterday we were trying to do an interview, and we had like a critical loss of of redundancies. And it's just it's a learning process. But technology allows me to talk to you today um, from across the pond, um, which I'm so excited about. And we've we've uh, pushed it back a few times. We've um, talked virtually nothing about what, what we're going to actually talk about. So, um, you know, I've never met you before in person or to talk to you. And um, but, but you reached out to me, I think, after listening to my conversation with Jason Horsley. Is that is that cor a correct assumption on my part? Yeah, uh, I was I was struck by how it was very different to the norm. Well, say normal. Maybe it's unfair to categorize. Uh, 
podcast conversations and cluster them together but I, I must have listened to jason appear on you know 20 different people's podcasts and there was something a bit different about his conversation with you oh wow, um, wow. which i found interesting so yeah and then i checked out some of your blog content and stuff and poetry and things like that so yeah i was i was yeah. interested i was interested and and you're right it is it is kind of uh, fun and exciting to to basically agree we're going to have a conversation and then like not totally not plan at all where, where we're going to go with it yeah exactly you know and things have I guess to a little context, um, for a long time, my writing, the blog stuff was sort of local focused and I had this need to, to try and build credibility and not talk about sort of the occult research I had been doing. Um, I kept some of the art stuff at arm's length, right? And so I, I wrote under a pseudonym, William Skink, which is sort of my art persona. And then really, um, <laughs> As, as the fear descended, you know, a year and four months ago, um, I think a lot of people were confronted with things that they maybe needed to do. Um, and my two worlds sort of crashed. And so the art world um, and the, the, the citizen journalist world um, crashed together. And, and the main reason was that I left my job on January 3rd, 2020. And then a, a man was killed at the homeless shelter where I worked. Jan January 3rd, 2020, he was assaulted. And two days later, he was removed from life support. And since then, the synchronicities that have been happening, I stopped drinking alcohol in March. Um, no, I'm sorry, July. But March, I had this weird synchronicity thing happen with Legos. I love Legos. Um, and I've been trying to understand it. And Jason Horsley is someone that is amazing. I've been reading um, his stuff starting when I stopped drinking in July of last year. Um, I, I knew his work previously through rigorous intuition, but um, I, I started reading Prisoner of Infinity in July and Vice of Kings. And then I, I've never been so eager to get a book as I was when 16 Maps arrived. And the way that, that Jason connected with his audience in the, in the process of that book um, and just the honesty of, of what he has shown people that are reading him, the process of opening himself up I don't know anyone else in terms of an author who can reference his own journals in such an effective way. Um, I've just been blown away by, by what he has been able to put out there. And it, it was interesting talking to him um, because it makes sense that he's leaving a lot of this stuff behind. I'm so glad I got a chance to talk to him when, when I did. Um, because, I mean, a, a book on synchronicities arrived the day before we had that conversation. And I got a chance to look at his idea of the second matrix and that became a great part of our conversation. I, I felt like he was able to warn that these synchronicities aren't always gonna to lead to good things. We have the will to make choices. Um, and I don't know if we necessarily have the tools to understand even what's going on when it comes to these synchronicities. So that's me saying a bunch of stuff. Um, and now and you're nodding your head and now you get to respond to whatever in that that, that sort of sparks interest in you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that the, the thing that most interests me about Jason's writing is that he can go into a topic at a sort of uh, very broad level, looking at the level of culture, then he can kind of find out about specific case studies and histories and things yeah. that happened and then weave his own story and, it, and bring it bring it to where it rubs up against his own life and, and talk about these three things often 
within the same paragraph even and and and, yeah. and somehow weave it together and that, that that's something i could never even think about doing really so i think it is very very interesting well it's a uh, it's a tapas it's a tapestry we all have access to access to in terms of culture i mean when you talk about movies and, and this this sort of meta narrative or these meta narratives that, that are overlaying a lot of our experiences. Um, and then you, you get into the specifics of how he individualizes that. And, and even like the renovations of his house becomes this amazing, um, you know, externalized metaphor for the inner work, you know, it's, it is incredible. Yeah, I, I do think that's one of his most important ideas that he's, he's brought to the fore that uh, what we see people doing is always sort of indicative of something going on inside. Um, and I think in a way, <clears throat> that's the same when it comes to synchronicity, because essentially the most interesting thing about the synchronicity is not the particularities of what how it fits together. That's the stuff that excites like one part of our mind but the most interesting yeah. part of it is that we've actually noticed it right and therefore when you're in a kind of the right frame of mind to notice them you will and when you're relatively sort of i don't know uh, tuned out from from these things you'll probably not notice them quite as much and that's that's reflecting the same kind of spiritual openness the, the sort yeah. of reflecting the reflecting the inside onto the outside world and also how much yes. of the outside world goes back in it's like a reflexive thing absolutely and i've been having some very specific thoughts on this after listening to uh, eric wargo on tinfoil hat so eric wargo um he's a doctor and he does work on like dream work uh precognition um and and some of the stuff he was talking about just recently has really got me thinking about when I noticed synchronicities um, and cannabis played a role to say that openly Montana is legalized cannabis now. So, um, but you know, I, I thought maybe I was just a stoner in my basement listening to music. And I, I remember distinctly how awesome my CD player was. It was a six disc cartridge with another uh, single CD. So it was seven CDs total. And I would put it on shuffle or random and oftentimes in my basement getting stoned, I would have the songs reflect the thoughts that were in my head. And it, it happened so frequently, I really started kind of getting a little unnerved by, by this. Um, but with Eric Wargo talking about how precognition could be an, a, an aspect built into our brains functioning, that sort of quantum computer functioning that has aspects of what our future selves have already experienced, already sort of encoded in it. And that um, some way that our brain can activate through dreams and symbolism, we can actually possibly connect with our future selves. And I'm thinking maybe artists have that knack, you know, whatever means you have of maybe accessing that. Um, but maybe artists, that's part of what the muse is. It, it's not some external inspiration, it's your future self. Um, and I just love that idea. I think it's really cool. And it's leading me to a, a more expansive sense of the world. Um, you know, it's helping me not drink alcohol because I think alcohol was dimming my sense of the, of the synchronicities. Um, and it's been very interesting to be able to just be more open to things. And so, you know, I, I, I knew reaching out to you would be, or responding to, to your inquiry, um, it would be interesting to just have a conversation. Um, and I do want to check on time since we are a bit limited and, and my calculations weren't, <laughs> our calculations were, were a little off, but how are you doing time-wise, Ben? 
Yeah, we've been going about 10 minutes, so we've got, I've got another 20 minutes for today. Oh, excellent. That, that's all. Well, <laughs> what's, what's your relationship to, to creativity? Um, you know, do you, do you, are you maker of things? What's, what's sort of some of your interests um, or interest in movies, you know, some of the stuff that, that appeals to you? Yeah, well, I was going to say that um, the way in which you describe the future self idea, yeah, it's, yeah. it's difficult for me to think, to, to decide exactly how that fits in with my current perspective, because yeah. in that way of looking at things, time plays a very specific role. Um, right. I do definitely think that, that precognition is a thing. Yeah. And I think that there are sort of things like, you know, morphic resonance and these kinds of fields, but I, I sense yes. yeah that all of it is filtered uh, th from my spiritual understanding is from from either a light pole or a dark pole right. and uh that that god and what you might call the devil or a, a, a supernatural uh, evil force both have access to to these these conduits through which information can flow into in individuals brains and i've had right some experiences in my life where that has appeared to happen. That's probably not something we have time to get into right now, but um, I, I do, I do definitely think that sometimes when the information comes in, it's not benign in nature and to, to return yeah. specifically to the yeah. issue of the issue of time. I don't think that, I don't think that God wants you to know anything about your own future. Right. I, I think that in some sense, God might know, you know, what is going to happen down all the avenues and has, and has all the information and kind of might, you might, he might enable you to have access to this, to some of that, but then it would be, probably for likely for a very important reason um, because yeah. it was a, it was something that, that you would from seeing it was a, a positive transmission that would in some way help you. You know, the, the movie that jumps in mind a lot, a lot of times for me is Donnie Darko. And, and there's a lot in that movie okay. about knowing, knowing your future self, because um, you know, Donnie Darko, the fictional character who's played by Jake Gyllenhaal, who's totally dreamy. You know, I'm, I have a total man crush on Jake Gyllenhaal, but his future self manifests as a liquid spear that comes out of his chest. And one of the more interesting conversations is one that he, Donnie Darko has with his teacher. And they talk about knowing your future and, and how like you can't do that. That's starting to get sort of past, like sort of implies cosmic law. Like you're getting, you're getting past this point to where you know, you're taking on maybe more of a direct God role. And that, that I think has that inverse potential of being maybe that more dark Luciferian impulse um, that's more maybe earthly. And, and I, I do think I've had to understand and Jason's helped me understand that, that there are positive and negative aspects to synchronicity. If, and I think of synchronicity also like a language, right? And so um, if it's a language, then entities outside of time, you know, so non-local entities do have the ability to use it for pushing you in directions that might not be good. Um, and another concept that's come up recently by following other people's synchronicities, which I think amplifies this effect, is a writer, Steve Kelly, who's located in Montana. And 
you know, he's been talking about the Wetico or Wendigo, this indigenous idea um, of sort of possession. Mm. And, and they saw that as yeah. the colonizing, as the colonizing Europeans, you know, come, come, come in and start, you know, imposing a, a new culture on, on what their relationship was to the natural world. And it's an interesting idea because, um, you know, I worked at a shelter. And so I've been in, in, in direct proximity to people in various stages of psychosis. Um, I just had a conversation a few days ago with someone that I'm trying to process and I can't get into to details quite yet, but um, the idea of like a targeted individual came up, um, you know, some of the more disturbing fictional stories. Well, I think it's fiction, I don't know, but there's a book that I've read that I, um, I actually remember coming across this at rigorous intuition, um, you know, about clones and trapping our souls. And, and you know, if, if people don't even understand or, that we have a soul or a spirit body or, and consciousness that, that exists beyond our material bodies, then they might not even understand that like that, that soul is at risk in ways that we are giving consent to if we, if we go along with certain things. And, and so there's just so much craziness, it seems like at play, but at the same time, I still have the sense of wanting to be a citizen journalist, you know, not blow my credibility by sounding like a, a crazed lunatic, um, and, you know, and, and trying to find a, a path where I recognize that we don't understand a lot about how the universe functions, um, but there are real consequences for people. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty privileged person. So um, a lot of the things that I am sort of on the edge of, I haven't directly experienced the, the negative consequences of, you know, so I can talk about homelessness, for example, I can work directly with people in crisis, but I'm a pretty privileged white dude that goes to a nice, nice house and you know, has a pretty awesome family and, and all that. So I'm trying to find a happy middle ground through what seems to be a lot of people opening up and finding their, their group of people. I mean, the podcast world is a lot of interesting conversations happening now where it seems like people are gravitating towards what's resonating in a positive way for them. Um, a lot of people are still trapped in fear, but a lot of people are saying, hey, we got a choice to, to manifest things. Um, in a positive way. And I talk to people all the time that they're saying and thinking things and then, you know, they want a dog and then a dog shows up two days later, the dog that they were like thinking of, <laughs> you know, I mean, these kind of things just seem to be happening. Is that, is that kind of stuff happening in your life? Are you noticing any kind of amplification or sort of acceleration of stuff, of things on the spiritual realm? Well, before we get into that question, and that that, <laughs> I, that that again may be something better saved when I have more time. Yes, uh, and, yes, and yes. yes. It, talking talking about my current situation would be complicated and would, would definitely have to Absolutely. be appended. But I was thinking, from what you were saying about fear and as a, as a, as a sort of limiting force, yeah, it reminded me of a segment of the film Waking Life. Oh yeah where the main character is talking to a guy called Lewis Mackey, who was, I think, a professor of, of philosophy at University of, uh, uh, of, of Austin or, mm -hmm. or University of Texas in Austin, whatever it's called. And, and he talks about how, you know, the, the two biggest limiters of fear and laziness. And it suddenly came to me from what you were saying that <laughs> maybe one could view laziness as simply a willing you know an unwillingness to be open that when right. you when you open yourself up and you use the the energy that you have to try and start getting things going more things can likely happen and it has a sort of yeah. um positive feedback 
but yeah. the more you sort of just go and slow yourself down and shut yourself off less happens and i think that people like yourself who besides podcasting and and your community outreach and uh, activism yeah. uh you guys are acting on um you know what what we might call you know christian charity it's a it's a virtuous energy that yeah. based on something you feel you put something into action and it generates results and 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 one of the reasons why there's such little virtue in the world is because people have been conditioned that they don't have to use their energy in that way and therefore that they don't and they become more yeah. they become more closed off yeah. So yeah, I do notice. I do notice things. Um, things have been very busy in my life the last few weeks and months. But <laughs> I, I, w- when I see like an opportunity, an opportunity open up for dialogue or good deeds or something like that, I try to align myself on virtue and then, you know point in that direction use that as as my as my compass yeah absolutely and you know i've i've been just trying to identify um personally where my ego can so quickly hijack um that intention to you know maybe have a selfless dialogue with someone else because um very quickly it'll come back to me when when i'm trying to impose my will too much and and so um you know i was just at the courthouse lawn the other day and and someone was was i was talking about transhumanism and a woman that was there to do a Christian ministry and provide food for people said, you know, you know, you're making me like feel a little uncomfortable. Do you mind not being so negative? And I didn't, I didn't think of it as being negative, but if that's how it was being received, I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm like I do need to get going. And that was a perfect opportunity to just continue to move along because, you know, it, people were not maybe ready to, to hear aspects of what I was saying, um, even though one person was interested, but I didn't want to have a negative impact because I'm very now aware and sensitive of fear. One of my metrics I've been using is, is this information producing a fear reaction in me? If so, is that intentional or unintentional? Um, because I think there's a lot of people that are unintentionally putting some fear out there and it's limiting their own sense of things. I mean, we've had this conversation kind of break out in a limited way about blockchain technology. You know, there are some people that are looking at uh, crypto and in blockchain as a, a almost like messianic liberation thing. And then there's other people that are pretty critical of transhumanism as a concept. And I, I sort of align more maybe with like the, the Luddite aspect of, um, of stuff. And, and they're like saying, no, this blockchain is going to be, you know, how we're going to be controlled. Our digital twins are going to be created, you know, and I, and I want to deny that fear. But at the same time, I, I have a little girl and she just turned uh, five in March. And she was watching this cartoon and the cartoon starts in reality. It starts with a, with a, a real girl and a horse and, you know, out, out in the world. And then on her, on her arm, this like cartoon, you know, wristband, a wearable device, you know, starts pulsing and she enters a digital realm where, where she's a fairy and the young, you know, fairy boy and her fairy friends are there. And, you know, and, and my cynical parent self is like, yeah, yeah. What's the what's the the human being behind? If, if it's even a human being, but like, who's behind that other fairy boy? Like, what what are we conditioning our kids to enter into in this virtual world? Um, because I've I've had to see in the last year and four months 
you know, what the screens, the acceleration of the screen mentality is doing to them, the dopamine addicts that they are, um, you know, the best times in the last year, year and a half have, have been getting out to the woods, you know, and crunching in ice in the wintertime and taking the dog out. And I was out earlier this morning, taking the dog in beautiful Montana. And that's, that is the stuff that I think people really need to connect to. Um, you know, and, and you talk about laziness, I'll just keep rambling a bit. Um, laziness manifests itself in what Jan Jason was talking about with the second matrix. If, if the synchronicities are leading you to just watch more movies and looking for symbolism in movies, then, then are you just sitting on your ass inside or on a screen watching a mediated reality? Or are you having synchronicities lead you to do good things in your life and move you forward in a positive way that benefits you and the people around you? Because I think that was part of what Jason was warning about with the idea of the second matrix is, you know, we can very easily just create something else out of this to get lost and distracted in. Um, another concept, and then I'll stop talking uh, for a sec, is Chapel Perilous. I love the concept of Chapel Perilous and Robert Anton Wilson really had, I think, the best description of how balanced you need to be when you enter this metaphysical space, um, because when you're not balanced, like the Sword of Cups or what, however he describes it, when you're not balanced, you can just so easily lose your bearings. And I feel like we've all been thrown into this Chapel Perilous situation, um, and a lot of people are struggling with, with where they're at in that. So are, are you familiar with the Chapel Perilous concept? Yeah, well, it's astonishing because I was there... <clears throat> about a minute before you um <laughs> i i heard you talking about you know uh the second matrix and the the thought the thought that came into my mind was that the best way to avoid that would be to try and not have any beliefs um and this was like a this was a, a sort of a left brain computational logical step not not something i actually uh, advocate and then right, i right, and then right. i was reminded of um uh, maybe logic which is a great documentary about robert anton wilson and in and in yes. that and in yes. that tom robbins the author describes yes. robert anton wilson as not as maybe not believing in anything uh and then i then i started thinking about chapel perilous and almost exactly a minute later uh you're bringing it up explicitly so oh, yeah, i love that i definitely I that. think that um there's a there's a way of me bringing this back into my current spiritual perspective which is that yeah um there is a there is a path that is right for us yeah. and it it is not it is not contradictory to the idea of free will that there is a path that is right for us because the whole idea of free will is we navigate through the labyrinth of possibilities trying to find that way yeah. it, it's not like well i've got i've got free will i'm going to give you free will but you have no telos and you can do whatever you want that, that's nihilism the, the, yeah. the purpose of the free will is that we find our own way there and we do it on our own backs with some guidance and some some you know some uh, encouragement uh, when we feel low and our, our spirits are drained but, and we probably we probably have to come back and do it again and again when we screw up. But sorry to interrupt. That, that's possible. Uh, I have I'm sort of undecided about the the sort of cyclical nature of it. But certainly within our own yeah. life, you know, we can we can go to an avenue which is relatively close to the path of virtue, and then we can kind of you know relapse in some <laughs> ways. Um, yeah, I'm not so 
you know, ver uh, linguistically, I don't focus so much on the idea of sin, but, you know, um, we can kind of some, sometimes, you know, stray away from the path of virtue. And, uh, you know, sometimes that can be to do to, to fear and we can be traumatized and life can really shake us up. And it, it's a very difficult world in some ways and our lives can be very hard. But more often than not, it's because we just took our foot off the pedal and just started to coast. And when we start yeah. to coast, we go wrong. So in, term, in, 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 in that framework, Chapel Perilous is when in the trajectory of your life, you most veered away from a path of virtue. And basically, God is giving you a big kick up the ass and, <laughs> and saying, you know, this is your bottom. And you're going to learn something from this bottom. Yeah, It's going to be hard for you. And he has sympathy for you and loves you anyway, but then he's going to give you a big kick up the ass and you're going to find your way back to the path of virtue. Um, and you'll do that either. Well, Rob Antimorsen says, you know, you'll either go sort of full on nihilism or you'll become a believer. And I actually think that you can spin that, the other way around because the 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 kind of uh total agnostic that he was or claimed to be or purported to be actually yeah. does have a virtue with it yeah. there, there is a virtue in that and he lived his life pretty virtuously at least the second half of his life and uh, you know he was he was a well-meaning man and he, he tried to do as much good as he could. Um, the, the being consumed by despair aspect of Chapel Perilous is more or less what he was warning against. You know, he talked yeah. about loser scripts and all the ways in which you can contribute towards your own uh, uh, oppression and to not view, you know, the elites as having all the control and all the power because really they don't have any more knowledge than we do. And uh, so, yeah, I'm kind of rambling too now, but yeah, that's my, that's my take on the, on the Chapel Perilous idea. And it, 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 it's definitely interesting or that, you know, we've covered a lot of the same ground in our own personal histories. I, I guess I'm probably yeah. a little bit older than you, but I, I'm not exactly sure. And yeah, I'm, for, I'm 40, I'm 42. Okay. We're almost exactly the same age then you, you, you look longer, you look younger than, uh, Look at me. Um, so that's that's my alarm, and uh, Perfect. sadly, Perfect. sadly at this point, we'll have to put this conversation on pause. But it's been a great yeah. little, it's been a great little taster, and I hope that we'll have a chance very soon to to, uh, yes. to continue things along. Yeah. We are going to have to talk again, absolutely, when the time is right for both of us. Um, and I'm so glad we ended on you saying I look young and and healthy. Um, that's great. We'll we'll definitely end on that positive note. Um, but Ben, thank you so much for sharing um, this half an hour. And I will definitely, again, whenever it works out um, next couple of weeks or months, um, I want to get into more stuff uh, about where your, where your situation is. And I think we have more that we can learn from each other. So for sure. So thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Travis. Have a good day. Cool. Okay. So we are now recording. Um, so this is going to hopefully be another episode of Zoom Town at some point, and I am with Ben, um, and it's been a, an interesting, th this will be interesting because the last time we spoke was about three weeks ago, 
and we had some scheduling challenges because you're in a, a place called France <laughs> and I'm in a place called America. And so the, t- the timing was a little bit off. And so we had about a half an hour last time and we just kind of jumped into it and sort of hit the, r- hit the ground running, so to speak. Um, and talked about, I, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the 30 minute conversation a bit good. So I, cause I sent you the, the file. Um, when we talked a lot about authors, Jason Horsley and authors, Robert Anton Wilson, um, and some pretty high level meta kind of stuff. Um, but I never got a chance to get more into sort of your background and, you know, how you came to be in Paris, um, just kind of what's going on more on a, on a granular level. So I'd like to know a little bit more about you, Ben, um, and kind of how you, how you got to where you're at. Sure. Yeah, I mean, um, one of the reasons why I sort of deferred some of the questions you asked me last time was because it would just take longer than I had at that time to to give a proper answer to. But um, yeah, just to just to clarify, I'm not in Paris. I'm actually in the the southwest of France, oh, okay. near to the near to the Pyrenees Mountains, um, which is the border between France and Spain. And I'm about as much as in the countryside as you can get in Europe. Okay. Um, the village here. I am about 30 yards from uh, there's a church, a Gnostic church originally Excellent. in the middle of the, in the middle of the village. Um, and then behind the first row of houses, there's a second row of houses. And then it's, then you're out of the village and you're going into the, into the fields and uh, the forest and so on. So it's very nice. Um, how did I get here? It's a very long story. Um, but uh, ultimately, the, how I ended up in this particular village uh, links up with the question you asked me before, yeah. which was about whether or not there'd been any synchronicities, amplification and acceleration in my own life. Right. Now, certainly there has been. And it seems like one of the general themes is the more open I've been to something new and challenging and uh, in a spiritual sense completely new dimension uh for my experience the the faster this acceleration has taken place yeah so uh if i rewind to january in january i was made homeless um i became something of an outcast and I had real, no real aim of any kind. Mm-hmm. And through, through the journey that followed, somehow these forces, whether divine in nature or some other kind of um, what you might call a magical level of reality, yeah. have br- brought me to a place where I feel like I belong here. Rather than having no home, I feel like this is... This could be my home. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of where, where I was an outcast before, here I'm accepted. The kind of people I'm surrounded by are the same kind of people that I am. Uh, almost no one in this village wears a mask. Um, the people who I live with have huge amount in common with me, which is statistically really significant because to meet someone who, you know, has explored what some people sometimes call conspiracy theory and distrusts the state and and is willing to question things in this way. I mean, you're talking about, you know, 
one person in a million maybe or something like that yeah. so it's it, i feel incredibly lucky and then where i felt i had no real aim at that time here i feel like i've got a purpose and one of the purposes is that i've started to um practice my former vocation of teaching again in a small in a small way just starting out um you know just dipping a toe back into the water yeah but it could be that um that i end up um operating a kind of alternative school here which would be really cool yeah that's very exciting and i think that is a theme i'm dealing with as of this morning the idea of finding purpose um because in my life kind of actually going back to january 2020 um, a lot of changes started happening, but what's brought things to the forefront this morning, I wasn't even sure if I was going to want to necessarily do this because I got in an argument with my wife. Um, and part of it is her struggle to find some more purpose. Um, because my changes of not using alcohol has been one of the big changes for me has left her, you know, one of her purposes was to try and babysit my drunk ass. So when you remove one of those, those sort of constants from your life, um, you're left with a void. Um, and so something gets removed, there's an emptiness, then what do you do with that emptiness? And I think a lot of people are dealing with those kind of things generally. You know, your sense of safety was taken away from a pandemic um, or your sense of you know, place was, was changed because of the people changing. Um, I, I mean, so many people that I have looked to are in the process of trying to find a place where they feel like they belong. And I was just looking at Facebook earlier today, which I hate, but I'm using it as a tool to kind of get some things out there. And um, someone that I didn't realize who was no longer in Missoula went to Hawaii and is finding themselves completely as an outcast again um, and doesn't know what to do because they were trying to find some new place to sort of move forward. And so I, I guess what you're saying just really emphasizes some of the other things I'm seeing other people struggling with. And I feel that struggle myself in, in ways, but I feel like I've found some purpose, but in some ways that's unfair to my partner because she's being left behind. So it's, it's a challenge. Um, are you on this journey in sort of individually yourself, Ben? Well, you know, I've got I've got some uh, I've got some close friends and loved ones, and I find the same tension that, you know, an acceleration in my spiritual journey is some is difficult for them to see from a different perspective because they're not in my skin and yeah. living with that. Mm -hmm. And likewise, their particular challenges, I don't have quite the same outlook on those. So yeah i i can definitely understand and, and sympathize with uh, with what you were saying about yourself and your wife i'm sure you guys will find the you know the readjustment the readjustment that, that suits both of you and it may just be as simple as um you know uh, you know it may sound completely cliched but remembering why it was that you guys you know collided and sparks flew in the first place yeah. uh, and that, that may bring you guys back together because i i strongly believe that one of the key elements of uh, romantic love is that two people meet and they're basically at the same point in their journeys they 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 don't have vastly different experiences they kind of 
this this there's something really common pulling them together some kind of natural force um and then whatever that is is usually something related to values and um i think it's rare that it changes completely if one person does feel like they've changed in a way that's difficult for the other person to deal with i guess it's kind of something that they just have to sort out between them to help help each other understand perspective i, I think that one yeah. of the things that i've come to appreciate in the last few weeks especially is just how different perspectives can be yeah um on the same thing well this kind of comes back to jason horsley in some ways because um you know i was reading prisoner of infinity when i right when i stopped drinking so last july i think i may have mentioned that in our first conversation but um you know the idea of reenacting trauma is something that just hit so hard for me because having three kids and seeing you know, I have a, my oldest is 12, my middle kid is 10, who I probably am the most like and butt heads the most with. Um, and then my, my youngest little girl is five. And I realized how much I was just reenacting the same, the same things that my dad did, you know, and, and just how it seems like our default position, if we don't do the inner work is to just reenact the cycles, whatever hurt us as, as ki vulnerable kids, we do to other vulnerable people closest to us. Um, and it takes a lot of work to, to see how you are perpetuating those cycles. Um, you know, it's, it's damn difficult, but I mean, especially if you have, if you've brought life into this world, you have a big responsibility, you know, to step up and kind of deal with some of your own shit. Um, but it's a, it's a process and in, in, in some ways where, you know, us not connecting for the last couple of weeks, um, when you step back and don't feel a sense of control over uh, time and schedules, when you just kind of let time do what it's going to do, I think there's some good things that come from that, but it's hard to let control to, to kind of release control of that. And I think for my, my partner and I, you know, it's time has to just sort of evolve and you have to show through actions you're changing because from my experience at this point, words in a lot of ways mean nothing. You know, you can say stuff, our, our leaders say things all the time. Um, and I don't trust almost anything anymore unless there's actions that go along with it. I mean, so even myself, I can say things, but if I'm not actually doing something to change, then, you know, it's kind of pointless. Yeah, I like that. Um, I think that's a good rule of thumb It's you know, is is it empty rhetoric or is it being backed up by something concrete yeah um i think you're right to to not trust anything uh there's there's really good reasons for that i think it's also important to recognize since you mentioned these uh, these so-called leaders yeah. is that the last year and a half has been extremely traumatizing so any difficulties that people are facing in their you know uh the, when there's so much kind of um well, the, the outside world is so unhinged, it, it uh, is like a sort of form of bleeding into family life and communities and, yeah. and even in, the, even in the, the life of the individual, really. Um, well, you, and you mentioned cliches. One of the one of the biggest cliches is, is that it's all money, really. It all comes down to sort of money. A lot of the interpersonal arguments can circle around money. 
a lot of the hypocrisy when you look at you know political leaders um it's money 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 you know i i um i don't know what the the living situation is like where you're at in your village in terms of just surviving and housing and all that but in missoula i i feel i'm really kind of sucked into this um this affordable housing issue in this this town that i've spent 20 years living in about a hundred thousand people so kind of modest size but um we have this just huge battle over the fact that more and more people can't afford to to cover rent on a month-to-month -month basis um and you mentioned that you're homeless you know and and it, i mean there's just so many difficult dynamics and the, the last year has just piled accelerant gasoline onto the dumpster fire um so what are the, the dynamics in the village where you're at um and maybe more about kind of how you how you found this place because of the sense of belonging i mean everyone wants that right <laughs> Yeah, so there's a there's a website called workaway workaway.info okay is the is the web address and this is a platform whereby people uh, volunteers called workawayers um, create a profile and and sign up to to do to do something and say what they're looking for okay. and then there are hosts which could be individuals families communities or sometimes employers some of these are actually paid but most of them are not yeah. Uh, indicate like what their situation is and, and what they're looking for. Um, I'd had a few previous experiences that were not optimal really. Um, and then I, what I did is I decided I'm going to stop trying to circumlocute the um, issue of COVID-19 and just be plain with my views. So I changed my profile and the opening paragraph just said, look, um, this is what I think. I think that there's really no good reason to think that there is a virus. And if, if there is, uh, it's no more damaging than a, no more harmful than a, than a seasonal flu. And certainly we can see that um, the sort of power grabs and totalitarian measures are, are just not even vaguely proportional. Yeah. And uh, if you disagree with me on this, then I suggest we, um, you know, not take this any further and um, nice. <laughs> leave it at that. And yeah. so then I started writing to people who looked like from their profiles um, might be uh, open to people like me. And actually, I was surprised by the number, you know, the number of people that got back and said, well, yeah, I mean, we don't put this in our profile because we thought we might get in trouble, but we kind of agree that was one of the first signs of hope that I had this year. And then um, eventually, uh, actually, the, the, my hosts here got in touch with me and they were like, really like your, you know, your, your stance on things. They described themselves as anarchist. I could see that they were spiritual in nature as well. And they had four children and, you know, everything looked great. We met, we met with the, them on, on, on Zoom or whatever. And, and then um, after talking to them, uh, then uh, I decided to come here. And, and one of the best things is that they said is that although they've been doing work away for four years and they've had good, good times doing it, they're now looking for, because of the degree of sort of uncertainty about the future, they're looking for people really long term. Okay, yeah. And they made, they, made it, they made it clear that if I wanted to, I could stay here indefinitely. 
Very cool. Very cool. So ba basically, Bing, after spending January, February, March, and most of April on the road, which you know, I don't know, some of your some of your listeners may know what that's like, but you know, it is extremely difficult. Yeah. Basically, every day is survival. Um, from that to being in a place which is you know so welcoming as this situation uh, was was totally wonderful. As for the village itself, well, it's a tiny little village uh, of just a few hundred people. Um, it's, uh, I don't know, sort of 10 miles to other villages of, of similar size, you know, just sort of like scattered here and there. It's about an hour and a half to the nearest city. Um, and it's quite removed from, you know, the national picture. Yeah. So most stuff is sourced locally here. There's a lot of agriculture going on. There's uh, a lot of duck hunting, which creates duck meat and foie gras pate and all these kinds of things. So it's it's reasonably robust location against the forces of globalization. Yeah. And because it's so far from anywhere else, you know, the people around here, they they just are more skeptical. If, if the news media is telling them that, you know, there are thousands of people dying in their country, they're like, mm, well, not sure what I think of that, <laughs> about that. Oh, but you might you must wear a mask. It's really important. And, you know, 90% of people here don't wear the mask yeah. because they, you know, they don't have any reason to do so. And um, I just wish that the people in the city worked out the same thing. Yeah, it's, it's a very strange thing to see the bifurcation of like a, a, a world. I mean, that we are self-selecting now and literally moving locations to find our tribe. Um, and in some ways, I think, you know, that's been a positive experience for some people um, because they are understanding what's important to them and they're starting to maybe identify, you know, the, the, the values that they have and are being more intentional in seeking, you know, that out with, with others. One of the things though I see is that because of that self-selection, um, I wonder if, it, if that's maybe a part of the, the intention of the dark forces is to um, really force us to find each other <laughs> And then once we find each other and group up, then that's an easier way to identify and maybe, you know, take countermeasures. But I, one of the things, um, I think it's called like a hundred flowers or there was some, there was some program I was listening about China, um, the communist party back in the day, um, allowing a 90 day period of criticizing the government. And I haven't looked into this too deeply. It was just mentioned on a podcast, but the idea was this 90 day period, um, people did come forward to criticize the government. And after that period was over, they had identified the dissidents, rounded them up and see you later dissidents. Um, and so I, I sometimes wonder what, I go back and forth between, you know, how effective and powerful this, this elite push is. Um, I just downloaded and I'm going to print out the SPARS document. Are you familiar with the, the John Hopkins 2017 SPARS document that really lays out basically what's been happening. Um, there's a lot of indications that there, this is an intentional culling, um, eugenicist wet dream, um, and that people are taking a vaccine that's ultimately going to harm them. And it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's been easy for me to keep sort of those dark forces at arm's length because I live in a pretty nice, you know, environment. 
um, nice liberal utopia where I didn't think it was at my front door. But when you have your own family members um, taking an experimental big pharma product that you really think might hurt them in the long run, you know, then it's, it's at your front door. And there's no denying the fact that you kind of have to find the people you're willing to make a stand with. Um, so I'm really happy that you found some people that I think it sounds like, you know, where like you need to, if you need to make a stand, if you need to be in a place where food can be sourced locally, um, where people feel like maybe they can at a smaller scale band together and be sustainable. That is awesome. That is, that is awesome. And I hope other people find similar things if that's what they're looking for. Um, I might join you one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The issue I've been thinking about a lot lately uh is in in america in in many places if not most places you know you can make your stand and um the second amendment makes it much much more difficult for you know uh big government to kind of just trample all over all over everybody yeah. not not so difficult for them in europe where everyone is disarmed but then lately because of my spiritual explorations, I've been really questioning <clears throat> the idea of guns for self-defense versus just simply accepting things. Like if, uh, you know, if the troops in the jackboots are coming up your driveway, um, rather than go down in some hail of fire, which, you know, will end up on TV being described as the next Waco or something like right, this. right. Um, it might be, you know, it might be spiritually actually better just to accept, you know, that although your life may be coming to an end on earth, it is not, it is not the, not the ultimate end. And this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. And I think that that is no accident either. Because this seems like the direction that my thought has been slowly uh, coming to over the last few years to question everything. Yeah. And then after you've quite kind of questioned everything that you sort of see and know and can discover on Earth, the, the last question to consider really is, you know, is this all that there is? And I think that I'm, you know, uh quite sure this is not all that there is and that places everything in a different light it doesn't mean to say that it's like oh you know it doesn't really matter how evil the these elites are, are being with their plan and stuff i think it's still worth knowing what they're up to and and trying to um tell people about goodness and truth as much as possible i, I still feel that's perhaps even more important than ever, but at the same time, it makes me think, okay, the idea of like my worst nightmare would be this, you know, I mean, the funny thing is sort of a few years ago when I would talk about these kind of futures in which pretty much stuff similar to what is happening would happen, mm -hmm. people thought I was crazy and I, and I sometimes felt crazy then when it all started happening i thought well, i wish i was crazy right. uh because this 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 kind of accepting this as real is very very difficult yeah. but then perhaps the answer to that is to think 
yeah, this is real, but it, it, it's it's really not all that there is. And maybe that's the greatest amplification and acceleration of all that's been taking place in my life. I think that's beautiful. <clears throat> and I think it's right on the, the podcast I, that sticks out in my mind the most recently is one that Sam Tripoli did. Um, I can't, I think it's maybe Jared Murphy, but it's about the abundance of life versus the scarcity of life and how the abundance of life is the fact that um, we've lived multiple lives. We are eternal and you know that this is not the only life there is for us and once you start wrapping your head around the abundance of life then the fear which comes from this false narrative of scarcity that fear is what gets us all to hold on to to life you know and willing to defend our own life in a way um that might take someone else's life and I didn't, you know, grow up around guns. And now that I live in Montana and felt the need to purchase firearms, um, I, I see those as tools of a sort of dystopian future in which they might be useful trade and bartering things. You know, bullets might be a new form of currency. But um, I think you are absolutely 100% right. If there's a mentality that you're going to show down the forces of evil by making some last stand and taking out whoever you can in some, you know, Western cowboy sense of glory. That is just not only dumb, I think it's spiritually self-destructive and keeps you at a lower vibration and keeps you here on a, on a sort of prison planet um, that, that is being operated by sociopath parasites that literally eat us and feed us like, like we're their batteries. Um, and, and I think the most difficult thing of all is to maintain a higher vibration of love amidst fear and anger and hatred um, and, you know, to face maybe imminent death with love. Because in the fictional story that I, that I mentioned to you that I, I'm writing and feels like it's coming true now, I really got focused on the idea of fear deaths or what is a bad death and what is a good death. And I'm starting to think in terms of death as a trampoline. <laughs> and how you move forward with your death is based on sort of how you're going into it. If you're going into it with fear and maybe that's a lower vibration and that is a higher chance of you getting stuck here. Um, but if you have sort of love and you appreciate even in the midst of death and loss of your mortal life, if you have a, a if you're able to hold on to something higher, maybe that actually helps catapult you in some way past that cycle of, you know, suffering that we get stuck in. Um, because maybe part of the, the lessons of life are at really how to die well or how to, you know, live well. And then to appreciate that death is a process of transformation and not the end. Um, just, just some thoughts, but I, I think, um, I think there's a dangerous mentality, especially in the, in the, in the, in the States here in America of wanting to just hold on to the, the sort of shoot them up last stand mentality um, and that's certainly not what I'm looking for, but, uh, it's a narrative that's offered to us, right? You know, the Western cliche of the, of the cowboy. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, sort of metaphysical ideas in that, which I personally find it difficult to connect with my experience and my thoughts and so forth yeah. as, I, as i said in our last conversation sort of reincarn reincarnation as conventionally understood is is something that 
you know, I think of as possible, but it, it doesn't quite chime with the rest of the things that I'm looking into. But certainly that the idea of, you know, that something, be, something beyond our, uh, our mortal life, whether it's reunion with the creator or just a, a, a different dimension of existence yeah. for which this life is some kind of preparation. Um, yeah. it, it, it seems like an almost like, like, like a, like self-evident to me now um, in, in a general sense. Um, but, you know, to bring it back to the, the synchronicity yeah. thing. So, as I said, the sort of, maybe it's true that the, the general pattern of my journey has been to lead me to this point of, you know, spiritual awakening. And uh, you asked me specifically about like particular experiences. And one of these, um, I think it's happened since the last time we spoke. If not, it was around about that time. Um, I went to visit an abbey that's about five miles down the road, maybe even less um cistercian nuns and they have like uh, a little shop there where they sell pate and honey and all kinds of things that they make from their from their efforts and uh i was we got out of the car and it was like a couple of minutes walk before we came to the grounds and as i was walking along i just felt more and more like there was something in my eye and uh I went into the church and I saw how the, uh, the priest had come out wearing a mask and there'd been some people that, I don't know, didn't want to go inside the church. So he was uh, giving them a benediction there before going back in. And I was like, just appalled at these concessions, that are totally unnecessary and so forth. And, and I walked in and I was sort of, feeling quite critical of the church both this specific church and 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 the and the catholic church in general and I was thinking about this and the, the the more i thought about this the more i had this like feeling of what what is going on with my eye why can't i get this thing out and then i remembered that in the car on the way to the abbey i'd been reading the book of luke where in addition to the book of matthew uh the the idea uh, is shown of um, removing the plank from your own eye before you point out the speck in your brother's eye. And and when I thought sort of thought about that, I thought you know before I start taking the church, uh, what's the phrase? Taking them to account, whatever. Sort of yeah. before I start criticizing them and. Uh, thinking of all the different things that they're doing that bug me or are somehow wrong, you know, I should I should look at myself first. And when I did that, I became uh, a little bit more humble, looked around me, felt myself more connected with everyone. And then at that point, the service seemed to become a lot more beautiful. The next song that was sung by the nuns was really like the way it sounded in my ears was. I guess heavenly is the only way I can describe that. And, and you know, a, a, a sort of, I guess I feel like I moved to the next level yeah. and I haven't, I haven't gone back. And, 
every every day since then i i hope i'm making some progress towards some kind of you know some kind of goal which is not a, a goal in the sense that i'm aware of it but yeah you know i'm making still making choices towards it nonetheless i love that i absolutely love that um it makes me think i mean that's just it's I mean, how do you, how do you explain that? I mean, do you think your your own body is having a physical sensation to try and jar you out of of your 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 mind's fixation on maybe some negative stuff? Um, because part of my thinking of synchronicities is that we live in this electrical universe, and people that have died in our lives might just be in this other dimension. And maybe part of the, the language that we think of as supernatural or paranormal, you know, maybe there are just electrical signals that, that can actually be a, a form of communication. And it's this very small, nuanced language that we mostly don't ever pay attention to, but it can impact our stomach, our eye, our, I mean, parts of our body, this, the idea of just intuition or, or how we can physically maybe feel something that's in line with the intuition that maybe our mind then picks up on. So, I mean, because you, you say that you don't feel like you've gone back, like you had this profound experience, although when you describe it, it's hard to probably convey how profound it is to a listening audience. But I mean, I've had such similar experiences. I know exactly what that's like in that moment where the colors are brighter, like you are feeling the life force in a more vibrant way and it's not that you're doing drugs or something or, you know, you, you just, you had some level of personal epiphany and it was the inner space sort of being in alignment with an external space, but it was more your peace inside allowed you to appreciate that external space better. Does that, does that feel accurate? I mean, it's a beautiful story. I love, I love that. Yeah, it does sound it does sound like we're on the same page about that. Uh, I'd be curious. I'd be, I mean, I I remember the, the the story that you told about the Lego when you were talking to to Jason. Yeah. Were there, were there other experiences that you didn't mention in that uh, in that podcast with Jason that uh, are just as profound for you? Because I'm starting to almost collect them. Like these things, I feel like the more more open to you are more open to them you are one is yeah. the more they happen last last night i was almost at my lowest ebb ever um very suddenly everything was fine then i became you know i have some psychological issues mm -hmm. um everything seemed to be really terrible and then suddenly there was a bat in in the in this house flying around at like 150 miles an hour and sort of picking up a map and I don't know, <laughs> trying to trying to wave wave it to, to stop this bat from flying into me. Although I've since learned that they never ever fly into people because their sonar is so accurate. But you know, you fear that, <laughs> and it just took me completely out of the experience. I was literally saved by the bat, and I'm you know I'm looking around the house thinking, how could this bat have possibly got in here? But all the windows were closed, and the the only uh, answer is that it must have come in during the day mm -hmm. um you know sort of it, it was still awake somehow when i left to walk dogs in the morning and and then just slept in here during the day and then why at this why at this moment 
why at this moment, it's, you know, to save me from my doom, yeah. it just started uh, flying around really fast. It was incredibly profound. So yeah, but my, but my, what I was saying was a question to, to you about, yeah. about your own. You know, the, the Lego story is one that's just so slapped me in the face, obvious that um, it's one that's more relatable to tell because it just, I mean, a Lego that says God loves you literally pops out of a Lego world of hundreds of thousands of Legos, you know, on a day where you're asking for help from a, a higher power. And so it's just, I mean, it was so smack me in the face, obvious, but since then, there's so many little things that happen on almost a daily basis that give me a reaffirmation of that feeling. Um, and it's, it's little things that are really hard to explain to other people. I mean, that's so much about synchronicities um, are, are just not translatable to other people unless other people have had synchronicities at that small level that, that are hard to explain to others. And for me, I think I've started going back. Um, one thing that Jason does is he's so honest with his journals, like we were, we were talking about. I mean, he's, he's referencing his old, old journals. And I've gone back, you know, not recently, but I've gone back to my journals when I was um, 19 years old, 20 years old. Uh, a good friend of mine was killed by a drunk driver my first year in college, you know, and that experience um, jolted me initially out of my suburban American, you know, kind of stupor. Um, and I look back at some of those old journal entries and, you know, I am seeking answers to big questions back then in ways that was a lot more spiritual than I gave myself credit for. I think I turned off that spiritual seeking at a certain point because something in you like calcifies as you get older, you have to get more responsible, especially if you're doing the sort of kid thing, you just you know, throw yourself in the daily grind. Um, and one of the things that I stopped doing was I stopped listening to music, completely stopped listening to music, really. I just didn't have the time to listen to music. And one of the things in my sort of awakening back to the spiritual movements of things, I am listening to music all the time again, and I'm getting albums and the, the songs are speaking to me again, the way they used to when I was in high school, my basement, smoking some weed, hanging out and, and thinking thoughts. And then the song would just literally just say exactly what I was thinking. Um, I'm starting to, to realize there is, um, there's an experience outside of time that we get access to. And I'm wondering after reading a couple other sort of passages and some other books, if, you know, our brains aren't these amazing kind of quantum computers that have a lot more abilities, you know, in them, <laughs> Um, then, then we understand. And maybe one of that is connecting to our future self in ways of, you know, through dreams, through symbolism, through what seems like synchronicities, you know, maybe there's a way to really access um, this knowledge outside of time. You think of like the Akashic records or something like that, that people speak about, but um, you know, I, I just, I try and focus on the feeling of positive awakening happening in humans that I am being drawn to, but also at the same time understanding a lot of people are being left behind in fear. And, and that is a really terrible place to be, especially when it's like your own, your own partner who you've tried to grow with for two decades and you're starting to say, can we continue to grow together or have we you know, hurt each other enough and we're, we're going to get through this because we're meant to be together. The synchronicities that were involved in us coming together in the first place 
you know, we'll get past this bullshit. And, um, but it's going to take a lot of honesty um, for healing. And I feel like on the meta level, there has to be a lot more honesty um, about how this world has functioned and how power has, has usurped the spirit in so many ways. And if we're not honest about that in our own communities, I mean, you have to be honest in your own life, um, but you also have to be honest in your own communities. And, and part of the, the thing in Missoula that I can, I get distracted by, or maybe I get sort of, you know, maybe this is a way of reenacting some traumas, but um, you know, in Missoula, I get very involved in exposing the hypocrisy and sometimes that is I think ego fed and not productive and so part of my challenge is trying to figure out where is my own ego maybe taking over um and and keeping me from actually being in alignment with my higher self or with a a higher divine purpose um because I think it's very easy as you the the ego is one of those bugaboos that just continues to sort of be in the back of my mind like am I just being selfish in ways that I'm not identifying? Am I just, you know, is the ego feeding on this somehow? Um, Even though it feels good and I feel like I'm doing positive things and I get positive reaffirmation from others, you know, is it still another form of reenactment? And so I I always try and keep that in the back of my mind because who knows? I mean, this is a messy world and and we we don't come into this world with clear... like a, a manual on how to figure, figure things out. Um, we really just have to kind of troubleshoot and trial and error and, and it can be really hard. So. Yeah. I mean, this goes back to, you know, speculations about what the purpose of life is and maybe yeah. the purpose. Oh, you're freezing a little bit on me, Ben. <laughs> Perfect. You're back. Oh, I wasn't sure what had happened, so. Yeah, I don't know either. It's possible that uh, the Wi-Fi here dropped. Um, I couldn't access anything else for a while, so it probably, probably was at my end. That's one of the downsides of being out in the countryside is that perhaps the Wi-Fi is not quite so sturdy, but yeah. Um, That's a I'm good side, to- actually. I'm, I'm in a similar situation. I live out in the county, so not in the in the urban part of Missoula. And um, because Montana is a rural state, we don't have really good you know, connectivity. And so at the end of every month, we lose our data and we, we basically can't like watch Netflix, which really is kind of a blessing to get away from screens. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I, it's not that big a problem. Um, right. I, I do feel like if the internet went off tomorrow, like I'd really miss the people that I communicate with through it. Yeah. Um, but I guess I would just have to enforce me into a greater connection with some of the people that probably are in this village that might be interesting and um, yeah, and cool in their own way. But yeah, I, I, um, I'm not sure just exactly where I where I cut out before. Well, we were talking, I guess, maybe a little bit more about just the, the physical manifestations of, of synchronicities. And um, I mean, that was that was part of, I think, near the end of, of where you kind of froze. But um, just the idea of listening to the, the smaller moments in life and and trying to find alignment with your sort of inner higher purpose and what's happening in the outer world. And and then how ego, I guess, can can maybe take hold and manipulate 
that. And, and part of the ego conversation for me has been this idea of Wetico or Windigo, which is this indigenous yeah. concept. Uh, we mentioned this a little bit in our first conversation, but um, I guess sometimes maybe a person would want to say it's an external thing causing them to do bad things so that you don't have to take accountability, you know, for the fact that we all have the capacity to do horrible, cruel, awful things. But part of me also, in, in just thinking about evil and, and, and how that manifests, I can't get away from a sense that there is something alien, something non-human involved in a pretty high level manipulation of, of us as a, as a species almost. And so that gets into parts of conversations that just definitely make you both feel crazy and sound crazy. Um, but in some of the, the conversations I've had with people on the streets, so uh, people kind of using homeless it's, services. It's, it's, re it's relative though, because yeah. if, we, if, we were, if we went back 500 years, no one would think we're crazy talking about evil spirits. That's a good point. That's a very good point. It, it's, only, it's only in uh, the very last couple of hundred years that people really started seeing things this way and i think that that is itself something that has been manipulated by an evil spirit to you know uh what is it that line from the usual suspects the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing you that he didn't exist you know? right um i think the second the second greatest trick the devil ever pulled is convincing you that things are hopeless uh, and i think that in the nexus of the soul which has free will um some kind of something possibly something like fate or destiny or god's god's path that uh, for you you know we're we're not here by accident yeah god wanted a travis god wanted a ben and here we are we're not here by accident we, we have to figure out as we were talking about before what is it we want to do yeah. And this actually ties in with what I was uh, talking about when I realized that I disconnected because you mentioned the word community. Yeah. And it, it reminded me that there's a book that I've been writing for uh, over 10 years, which explores how society is actually nothing more than the negation of community. Interesting. And that rather than, you know, we, we use these words like, Oh, he's very social, sociable. You know, uh, we we talk about socioeconomic, social social welfare, social justice, all these sorts of things. But actually, like when you like when you have these terms like sustainable development, when you actually think about it, it means that it is the development which is to be sustained. And with with the with the social justice, it's justice for society. It's never for actual people. It's never for actual communities, and there's this sort of many elements which which inform this uh, the main thesis of the book. Um, but basically, you know, I I would say that it's it's pretty hard to to deny that wherever you see societies growing, you see communities uh, diminishing in their ability, their their autonomy, their their interconnectedness, their spirituality, everything else, and that yes. got in turn got me thinking about your situation in Missoula and how you were saying that, you know, you're doing these outreach efforts, you're, you're broadcasting citizen journalism, 
you're obviously trying to connect with a community and the, no doubt there are multiple communities that exist that you could connect with. Right. But because you're doing that within the sort of framework and the language of society, it's always like you might feel like it's three steps forward, two steps back, or even two steps forward, three steps back. <laughs> and, you know, we can't get away from the fact that constructions like Missoula, even though it's a small place, let alone, you know, Los Angeles or, or Dallas or Chicago, places yeah. like that, that they're completely, they're completely alien uh, with, even within the human history, let alone anything else. Um, the story of civilization is such that, you know, you, you talked about before about feeling more on the Luddite side of things, which... Uh, yeah which really kind of uh, warmed me to hear. And I, and I think that we, we ignore the, every, every group that's made a serious, or individuals made a serious critique of civilization, we ignore that at our peril. And what we can learn from them is that wherever civilization flourishes and, and, and through its main uh, modern, uh, manifestation of you know big societies wherever this takes place community is ebbing away what can we do to to uh, get around this well we have to address those communities directly so we can't really waste energy trying to address everyone we've got to go after specific people because they share our values and, and build something up from grassroots yeah. Um, whether that be through a church or a community outreach organization such as the one that you're involved in, they're all vehicles for goodness. And the one thing that cannot be a vehicle for goodness is society because it's just like it's it's built the other way around. It's built from the top down. And uh, we can't get around that. I love that framework, it really helps me understand. I mean, society as the negation of community, um, that's, that's amazing. I think part of my looking at Missoula in, in this documentary I'm actually working on um, is, is an attempt to, well, it's an attempt at a sort of narrative counterinsurgency, right? Um, the, the narrative controllers have a lot of power in determining how a narrative is told. And so, one of my arguments is that Missoula is, is small enough that you can see these big overwhelming trends at a, at a smaller scale. But what you're saying, what, and I think is accurate, is that 100,000 people is still a very large group of people. And that's more representative of societal forces than the smaller community, which is where you actually have some impact, you know? And so as you're trying to, to have these bigger battles with these bigger things yeah um you start you start really engaging in forces that um almost transform you into it if you're trying to battle it instead of putting the energy and work into developing your actual resilient actual sustainable communities and i love how you're saying like, sustainable development is sustainability for development not for people that are going to live within those developments um yeah I spent Brilliant. five or six. Thank you. I mean, I spent five or six years in dialogue with North American anarchists, <laughs> and 
and they were like, but you, you agree with us. You, you know, you, 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 you also think that the state is morally repugnant and all these kinds of things. And, and ultimately I said, but the difference between me and you is that you think your theory summarized anarchism is the belief that people of all different kinds of stripes and, and beliefs with no shared fundamental values can somehow live to, together in this big mass and somehow it's going to work. And that sounds yeah. to me, you know, patently absurd. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's, it's something that I could harp on about, you know, all day pretty much. But I, I think for yourself, like you obviously have listeners, readers, you have a kind of constituency and um and even the people that you help uh, you know face to face in your in your in your volunteer work um uh that is the the real um cause i guess for you and i i you i think it's i think it's good that you're telling people what's going on in their environment and so forth yeah. but yeah I, I i i don't know what i'm doing maybe i'm making too many assumptions about about the way in which you're going about things i guess i was bordering on being patronizing really with no, kind no, of no i think you're right sort on sort <laughs> of you know maybe warning you against addressing you know citizens of missoula because it's a kind of constituency that doesn't really exist and and as you said a hundred thousand people is huge yeah. it's way above dunbar number and if it's above dunbar number it means that there need to be some kind of intermediaries to mediate that communication which means you're going to be in a broadcasting battle with the, the powers that be and you're yeah. never going to win that war so but um it seems to me that you do a lot of good i think despite, i am despite, yeah. despite the challenges that are thrown against you yeah. oh the, the futility of waging a, a broadcast war against uh elements of society I, I think i might need to recognize sometimes when i'm when i'm up against those kind of dynamics because um I find in my interactions with individuals, you know, I can really be effective in communicating what's going on in my community on a one-on-one -on -one basis or to an in-person audience. Um, what endlessly frustrates me is like, no matter how many conversations I have, it seems that a lot of people have just reached their own limitations and what they can sort of deal with. And so many people are discouraged to the point of just tuning out, stopping even, even caring about some of these larger conversations. And I, I understand the need to sort of pull back and to just you know, do what you can do for yourself. But um, for me, there's a political election in November. There are elements lining up to continue this um, sort of self-dealing with public money. There's a worsening issue with addiction and mental health, you know, that, that Montana just, we're a poor state and we just do not have the resources like other states in, in America that have more resources like Washington state or Oregon state. And so it's just such this dire situation that in, until we are at the point of actually having to go hunt and, and, and you know, the day-to-day -day survival becomes <laughs> like the, the main thing, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm gonna take this, this battle, this narrative battle to the, the local powers that be, um, because I just, I feel it's a calling for me and I feel I'm in this unique position of knowing a lot of the specifics of how the power structure in this town operates. Um, but I think my ego very quickly will usurp some of my better intentions if I'm not careful. And so the, the battle against my ego is also 
needs to be a daily battle. If I'm engaging society, right, and maybe a feudal battle, um, I also need to recognize that daily battle is also with myself and the moat in my eye, right? <laughs> yeah. I think that uh, I think I have to leave it there for now. Um, I can see one or two avenues that we could go down uh, in a future conversation. Um, yeah. If you want to um, wrap this up and and put it out there, I'm I'm more than happy for you to do that. I'd love yeah. I'd love to see that. Um, and, and maybe we can talk some more about sort of uh, some anti-civilizational stuff and connecting that with the spirituality stuff uh, in a future yes. conversation. I'd really like that. I would, I would too, Ben. I have had a really good time talking to you over, over, you know, just a, an hour and maybe a half over a couple of weeks. But um, you've given me a lot to think about, um, and you've shared Likewise. a really beautiful story about how you found yourself in a better place. I just, I really hope people can hear, hear that possibility and and find that in their own lives because we're all searching for a better place to, to belong and to feel like we're not weirdo, crazy nut jobs. So um, I've really enjoyed talking. And I think we, we, need to, we need to talk again when the timing is right. And that might be yeah. whenever we're given the signals that, that we should probably chat again. So when, when that happens, and I'm sure it will, I would love to speak again to you. Thank you so much, Travis. I look forward to hearing the final product. Absolutely. I'll talk to you Take later. Take care. Bye. See you soon. Bye. Okay. And there you have it. Another episode of Zoomtown. That was Ben Freeman coming to us from France. Yeah, Zoomtown might be focused on Missoula specific stuff, but what a nice, nice conversation. A chance to take a break, talk to someone about just finding a, a, an amazing place, it sounds like. Um, you know, I, I know I've been been definitely hearing from people that feel like it's a challenge to find belonging. So thank you again, Ben, for sharing those stories. If you want to get in touch with me, I am host Travis Mateer. You can reach me at willskink at yahoo.com. That's W-I-L-L-S-K-I-N-K at yahoo.com. This episode was produced by Tim Adams and myself. Usually new episodes go up on Tuesdays. We do this weekly, and we're covering local politics, so next episode we will definitely be back engaging on that level. Talk to you next time. Bye.